Welcome back to another edition of the Educational AD Podcast. We couldn't do these without the incredible support of our sponsors. And we want to start by saying thank you to all of them. First, thanks to our diamond sponsor, Varsity Brands, including BSN, Varsity Spirit, and Herf Jones. Varsity Brands, elevating student experiences in sport, spirit, and achievement. We also want to say thank you to our platinum sponsors, including Ephesus Lighting, innovating a brighter future at every level. Gilman Gear, always a step ahead. Camp Mobile, where leaders communicate better. Hometown Ticketing, simple and easy online ticketing. Vital Signs, bring student achievements to life and Gipper, sports graphics made incredibly simple. Thanks to all of our great sponsors. Welcome back everyone to another episode of the Educational AD. Our guest today is a good friend, Don Bales. He's a certified master athletic administrator. He's a longtime high school AD, currently retired, but he's not just uh, sitting on the sidelines. Uh, he is the coordinator for the NIAAA's professional development program. And so that means he has a hand in LTI courses, in certification, in uh, quality program. You know, uh, he does it all. So, Don, welcome to the program. Thank you, Jake. Um, it, I, it truly is a, an honor to. Uh, speak before my constituents and those that uh, see the possibilities when they see another avenue to communicate uh, what may be new ideas or thoughts that others can share. Um, and I think that truly is, truly is why I have been involved with the NIAAA. Um, it's an organization that, uh, you know, I, I go back, I started serving on the board of directors and in 1994. Um, in 96, uh, I had uh, applied for the presidency and served as the president of the national board in 98. But it was after that that I was approached uh, by the NIAAA to assist with an ever growing program, leadership training. And, and I saw the value in leadership training. Let me, let me take a step back. I'm going to do a little bird walk here. Um, when I began in 19, 1981 as an athletic administrator, I was a teacher and a basketball coach. I had coached three sports prior to that, but I was down to a varsity basketball coach. And that position as, as an athletic administrator at our school was, was an administrative position. Um, what did that mean? Um, I wasn't sure. In fact, I turned it down twice and they came after me a third time in May and and I'll be, I'll, I'll be very honest, uh, I'll tell you what changed my mind. I, I was at a basketball clinic um, in May and someone came out with a statistic in Indiana that the average average tenure of a varsity basketball coach in the state of Indiana was 3.4 years. Um, <laughs> and I really liked my community. I liked the people I was working with. I saw the dynamics in the stretching that one had to do as, as, as a varsity basketball coach. And I said, you know, maybe I need to take a look at something a little different. 
Um, I was only 29 years old at that time. And I thought, well, if this doesn't work, I can take a step back. But in 81, when I took that job, I had no idea the kinds of things that an athletic administrator would be involved with. Not a, not a understanding. I knew you needed to do sketching. I needed to do contest management. Uh, there was this idea of about evaluating coaches, but what did that mean? How, what was what, what kinds of things should be included in? And I think that's where the dynamics, I, I, being involved with the IAAA helped me to be with people that had new ideas. They started growing those ideas in different ways. And it was in, I believe, 1996, when Dr. John Olson, Jim Tepp, and Jim Watkins sat out in Kansas City in a room and started developing an idea about what would it take to develop some kind of course that could help athletic directors understand what was involved in the position. Their objective at that time was to try to keep athletic directors in the job. There was such a vast turnover. I mean, it was like me. When you get into it, all of a sudden you go, whoa, really? All of this? And there was no script. And when they, and I think what happened is the NIAAA allowed these two, these three gentlemen to grow that program. And you know, we started with, we started with one eight, one eight hour course and we piloted that course. And after that, we found out eight hours was way too much for someone to absorb. So that had to take that apart into, which eventually grew into four other courses. Um, uh, but the part of that that's really essential is an understanding of what goes into really each segment. And that, and that kind of gets me to where I am now. You know, one of the things that I have, I do now with the NIAAA is, is assist uh, Dr. Scott Smith in identifying new course themes. What is out there on cutting edge? What are we looking at that athletic administrators need to know more in depth about? Uh, and now I'm gonna bird walk back. Example, when we started that first law course, it was a combination of all litigation that was in athletics. From that, we developed the 504, the 14 legal duties. Now, is there anything, is there anything unique about those? Those 14 duties existed always, but defining them in such a way and the implications if they're not followed and the training that's important to help them be applied was, was dynamic when you begin to understand it. And that's where I saw the effectiveness of leadership training courses. It helped the people understand in depth what they should be doing, what they should be applying. And now it's developed into a greater thing. You know, it's the, thing, the other thing that I do is the quality program award. It, it provides a vision. It, 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 it gives an idea of what you should be doing with a strategic plan. You know, where do you think forward? Where, where do we need resources? Where do you, those resources may be funding, it may be, it may be facilities, it may be personnel, uh, it may be training, uh, um, those kinds of, it may be mentoring, it may be increased risk management, you know, that, that is not taking place, but that kind of program. So you can see the connection and then, then the other place that grew from there, 
is the certification component. You know, validation that an individual understands what they're doing. And they've taken time to research that, absorb it, apply it, and there's where certification comes in. It validates that. It shows that the individual has made a commitment to that kind of information that is out there. So those are, you can see the interaction, the intertwining of all, of, all the components that with, with the NIAAA. Oh, that's such a great uh, description of uh, the NIAAA and again, all the things that you, uh, you know, have a hand in right now and in, in guiding and directing. Uh, let's go back a little bit. Uh, you know, you, you shared with our listeners what you're doing now. Uh, I'm always curious to hear, you know, that journey. Um, you know, tell us a little bit about, uh, you know, where you grew up, you know, where you went to school and, and obviously your love of athletics, you know, how that maybe led to that first uh, teaching and coaching job. Well, I grew up, I grew up in a, a small community, not far from where I live now. Um, uh, school at that time, um, in fact, my graduating class was 54 students. So, uh, and therefore in a school like that, you, you have the opportunity to participate in a multitude of activities. Uh, for me, that included things such as student council, as well as being a three-sport three sport athlete before the understanding of what three-sport athlete was about. And right. we just it's did just it. What you did. Yeah. Everybody did it. That's what you did. In fact, uh, to give you an example, um, we had fall baseball, and before you could come out for basketball, you had to go run cross-country a couple meets before you could try out for basketball. So you just had those kind of things. So you can see you're immensely involved in a lot of different activities. And, and with that involvement, I had a lot of enjoyment. I go, wow, this, you know, I, I, I go back there, there. In life, we, there's a lot of things that go on for us, but there's the moments and everything else we forget around them. It's the moments and it's those moments that help me um, or nudge me in the direction of an interest in athletics. Um, and so then after I left high school, I went on to what is, was at that time called Indiana Central College, which now is called the University of Indianapolis. And uh, in there, I participated in baseball. And during my sophomore year, I was cut from baseball. Um, didn't know what I was going to do. You know, it's the first time in my life since I was uh, a fifth grader that I hadn't been on any kind of team. And it was, it was kind of shocking to me. And, and, and I just happened to be, happened to be just running and training and a lot. And I had a coach, a college coach that approached me and said, you know, you ought to come up for the track team. And my, I can remember my response. I said, coach, I, I would really enjoy that. But at the collegiate level, I'm not fast enough and strong enough for track. But the one thing I know I want to do is someday I want to coach. So I'd like to be around people like you that can show me the ins and outs about it. So I became a track manager. And I don't want, I'm going to take a step back again. My father was a tremendous organizer. He was precise about everything. He was a businessman that started a business in this community in 1959. And it still is still in operation today. It's 60 years plus that it's an operation. And one of the things he always, he always demanded was if you're going to do it, do it right. 
and this is how you should do it. Um, and so I kind of took that and without even saying it, I, I just applied it to it. And when I became track manager, I thought I looked at the way things were done, you know, in search, such as the equipment room. It was a shambles. I gotta be honest, it was a shambles. Stuff was just thrown in there. And I go, man, I can't do this. I can't hand out equipment. I can't, I, we gotta have a recording system. We've gotta put, and I did that. And I reorganized. The next thing I knew, the next fall when I returned to school, the college athletic director called me in and said, hey, my, my track coach has talked to me about how you've taken the job as a manager and grow, grown it. Um, we'd like you to take over a football managing job. So I became the football equipment manager. So um, I have a lot of respect for managers. <laughs> And what they do. <laughs> and those, those, as you know, as a coach, you find a good manager, those are gold. Okay. So they are. They are. They really can cover a lot of mistakes they can make. <laughs> they really can help you. So um, that, that, that's what I did. And I continued to, <laughs> I continued to run uh, on my own. Uh, I ran with the college track team and just trained just on my own and learned about training and that kind of thing. So that uh, when I accepted my first position, I had a degree in biology. So I got a science position at a middle school. Um, <laughs> long, a lot of difference. Let me tell you, there's a lot of difference between biology and sixth and seventh grade science. A lot of difference. Um, but with that position, I was said, hey, you need to coach three sports. So the first one you're going to coach is cross country. And so I met with the cross country coach and he asked me, what do you know about running? I said, here's, here's what I, here's what I do. And when I explained, he goes, that's enough. I can teach you the rest. And he was, he, he, he took teams to the state championship uh, through the years. So I was very, very blessed to have someone that had that kind of knowledge and, and gave me that. Um, then I coached basketball, um, in baseball, so I had three sports as well as teaching sixth and seventh grade science. Um, that kind of experience, experience led me to another school that I, I had I applied for a job at a high school. It opened in August, which is short term before the school year started, and uh, I thought my my high school basketball coach said, "Hey, you need to go down and just." get a chance for an interview, see what the experience is like. Cause he knew that everything. And, and I think, I think the most important thing about life is, are you looking at the possibilities of growth? I think that's what makes you get up in the morning. When you look at the possibilities, how you can grow something, how you can become part of someone else's growth, you get, you get enthused, inspired by that. I think that's what drives you. So, I, so I, I said, okay, I'll, I'll take that chance. And he put me through some mock interviews my wife uh, called down there and they said, well, if you have your application here by four o'clock, uh, we're going to close it. So I was right at borderline and she asked, well, how many applicants? There was 28 people that applied. And I thought, you're going to, I hope I even get a shot, shot at. Well, next thing I knew, the next day I got a call, I was one of eight that got an interview. And and therefore I became, I got selected out of those eight. And two years later, I was approached by the by the principal and the athletic director and superintendent, but become the AD. Now, 
how do you ever come to someone that's got two years of varsity basketball coach to become the athletic director? I really, I literally look back. I think they look at individuals who are over, in our program. We had a feeder system. You were responsible for middle school, junior high, as well as your high school. So you, you have a lot of personnel. You have, you have programs that you have to oversee beside the one in which you're totally responsible for and that you're evaluated on Friday and Saturday nights. Um, so I, th I think they saw where we were going with our feeder system and they saw the communication I had with personnel um, and the kind of commitment that I had made to it. And so that I was approaching it. But again, that gets me to the point that is in 1980, 1981, I really didn't know what yes meant when I said yes and how much involvement was. In fact, I took over a program when I got after I said yes, uh, I found out that we had a financial debt of almost $20,000. And in 1981, we still owed invoices clear back to 1977. Terrified me. Um, what was I going to do? How was I going to do it? So I went about contacting some people that I really trusted, that I found out that really were resourceful in their creativity. And I used their ideas and within one year, we were out of debt. Um, and then many, many other changes took place. And as I began to, as I began to grow in the athletic administration, one of the things that I saw that makes an athletic administrator uh, respected in what they're doing, they care about people. They really genuinely care about people uh, in the experience starting with kids. And you wanted to see kids have a really good opportunity of what they're doing. Um, so you, then you have to find out what do those look like? What, what, are, those, what are those possibilities? Uh, and so you need to attend workshops, you need to speak to people you trust, uh, and you, gotta, you need to be a very resourceful listener. Not someone that just lets it go, resourceful. Let's go and talk about uh, some of those people. You've already alluded to it a little bit, but uh, in our business, uh, we always talk about the importance of leadership and mentoring that next generation. And I'm always curious, um, who were some of your mentors, you know, coaches growing up or people that you've worked with or for? Um, you know, you and I have been doing this for a while now, but the expression I like to use is uh, whose voice do you still hear in your head when you're talking to teachers or coaches or other ADs? Well, probably one of the first coaches I, that, uh, that I really embraced what they're doing was the cross-country coach uh, that mentored me when I, when I took the position. And why did I do that? I saw an individual who took, uh, let's give an example, who took the practice environment and said, this, this is a classroom. And, it, and every time he did a practice, he had kind of a message to his kids about what they were doing. Um, and he not, only, he not only did a practice after school, he had morning workouts, he had off-season training, he saw us running in the summertime at possible uh, road races at that time was big. Um, so what I saw is an individual who really understood 
what embracing a job was about. It isn't, it isn't an eight to four job. It, it, it was someone that, and didn't complain anything outside of it. Didn't complain. He saw it as, he saw his kids really, really going to have a better experience if I can get them to buy in what the job. So that is one of the individuals I really embraced. I, another, another would be, uh, my varsity baseball coach at that same school. Um, he laid out a plan of the kinds of things that need to be incorporated. He had a master plan of the kinds of drills and techniques and things that should be incorporated through the season. They carefully constructed that. So it, it helped to create a structure and understanding that, you know, your, your arena is your classroom. And um, he, 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 he applied it step by step. He's going from what we would say in the educational from the unknown to the known, you know, from the simple to the complex. You know, he applied those without even saying you could see it. And those are terms that I kind of knew more about as I got into NIAAA and, and understood that a little bit more. But um, probably the best mentor that I didn't, didn't know was actually my father. I'm going to be very honest. My father was was a man that, you know, if you weren't, you were, he always had a saying, if you weren't 15 minutes early, you were 10 minutes late. Um, and, uh, you know, he always said, you need to respect the time of other people. Um, they're preparing, they're planning, be there, be there on time. Um, and when you do it, make a commitment to whatever you're doing and follow it through, finish it, finish it, those kinds of things. Um, so, and then also my mother. The other part of it is my mother was a service person. She was compassionate. She was caring. She loved kids. I mean, I can't even tell you. And you think about the job we do. You don't do your job unless you love kids and see, seeing how they grow and how you connect with them. So those are two people that they may not have been coaches, but they were mentors. And there were people I admired for the qualities that I began to realize what they were teaching me when when I was younger, I just didn't understand the embracement of it until I grew older and, and I had to put it in practice myself. I really appreciate you sharing that. And again, it's it's so important. You know, sometimes we we don't acknowledge the impact that our parents had on our uh, on our lives. And uh, just a great reminder that we didn't get here by ourselves. You know, we had a lot of help along the way. Don, we've been asking our athletic directors uh, about COVID. You know, it certainly had an impact uh, on our country, on our schools, on athletics. And we've seen uh, such a wide range of responses. You know, some states have shut down uh, sports completely. Other states have moved sports around. Football is going to be in the spring and baseball's in the fall. Uh, in my state of Florida, we delayed for uh, about a month and then picked up with fall sports. But we still have seen in our state individual responses um, differences from the panhandle down to, um, you know, the Miami-Dade area. So my question is, uh, I know you're retired, but uh, share with us uh, what's happening in, in Indiana uh, as far as, you know, return to play, uh, return to school. You know, what are some of the things that you've seen in, in your state so far? Well, as far as the state of Indiana, they've, uh, uh, they've been able to go right through it. They're, they have all their sports in place. They are. Uh, running their programs uh, with some guidance. Um, they've put in place such as temperature checks, uh, 
some protocols in terms of uh, if, and I'll give you an example. We, in our football program, uh, we had through the, through the temperature checks and, and administering the checkups with their athletes, they had, they had an athlete uh, that uh, indicated that he had the COVID and with that they did tracing and they had as many as 15 athletes out. What did that mean? They had to postpone a game for a week. Uh, so there was an understanding. So I think one of the biggest things is this is an understanding among, among the opponents of what you're gonna do if a school has to withdraw on a, on a contest. Um, I think everybody understand that based on the times, we'll just have accept that. Uh, we've had that similar case. Let me let me give you a case in, in the school, uh, the schoolhouse. They they've had to um, they have a process. They notify the public. Nothing is kept behind. They notify public, uh, and it's it's gone out. Uh, it, they have a Facebook page. They put it on, as well as an informational email says. We've, we've discovered a student had uh, symptoms of COVID We're doing, and, and it goes through a long process. So I think that's, that's the important part is what is going to be your response to a case? What, and who do you have to contact? What are the kind of people that you have to have that with? Um, how can you assure the public that you have safety measures in place? I think those are part, parts that are in on the front end that you've demonstrated. These are the these are the measures that we're taking. These are the measures we're going to taking in response to a case. Um, so that's that's what I've seen happen. I, I just haven't been on the front line to know all the inside that's taking place. What um, uh, again, as an outsider at this point, but you know, what's been your perception as far as? Uh, uh, students or, or ADs or coaches as, as far as the return to play? Are they happy with the way things are going? Are there, you know, concerns? You know, what have you seen from your position? I think that depends on the, on the personality of the individual. I'm going to be very honest. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I, there are those that understand the implications uh, of not, uh, of the restrictions. They understand the implications of not addressing the restrictions. So you're going to have both, si both sides of the aisle that are going to see it differently. Um, the important part is that people understand the seriousness of, of the illness and the impact it can have on others. I think that's have to, you have to keep that out front and center, that seriousness that, that exists. And you have to keep the welfare of other individuals in mind when you do it. Um, so I think what uh, I really from, I guess what I'm gathering, what I see from people, many people, depending on the culture, the environment, those kinds of, those kind of situations, they've, they've taken different stances, different approaches. Uh, and, I, and I'm going to give an example. You know, the NIAAA took a long time to make a decision before the postponement of the national conference. Um, and they were waiting to see, you know, where we were with the number of cases across this nation. Um, and I think what they found is that cases vary depending on the region, but what doesn't vary, what doesn't vary is you're gonna bring people in, all into one environment um, 
into one building, um, the kinds of things that can lead to a seriousness of it, and do we were responsible for orchestrating such an event of doing that. So I think that same kind of scenario happens when we're looking at, at athletics for kids um, and what can we do to make sure there's safety procedures in place. Um, so again, I think you have to have to look at it, what, what your culture is willing to handle. I, I know that, and I'm gonna give an example, I know we're close enough to Illinois, you know, they've shut everything down, you know, and they've moved. And they've moved. I believe they've moved their football season to the spring. Um, uh, and the people that made that decision are—they're really taking a lot of heat for it, you know. But on the other hand, you got to decide if what kinds of measures do we need to keep people safe. So you've got that debate back and forth. What is safe? Um, and I guess I'm not enough in on the inside. And I can only get, let me give you an example. You know, I'm on the, on the team leadership at our church and we have to decide, we had to decide on, on services. Uh, do we come inside? Do we come inside? Uh, we looked at the, our, our membership, our congregational and overall probably an older generation. And all the facts lead up to the older you are, the more susceptible you are to more seriousness of it. And therefore, what are our, our, our alternatives? Would it, we design things such as connect? Uh, we have volunteers that sit, took on uh, and would make calls to our members, you know, each week, four or five different people. Uh, we, had, we had podcasts where we filmed, the, we on a, had a service and we did a podcast. The podcast then said email and people can listen to the service that way. We went to an outdoor service with guidelines and restrictions, you know, six feet distance, everybody wear masks, you know, and there were several other details about it. So we took a look at the details that needed to go with it to provide assurance that this is a safe environment. So you're carefully looking at that. Now, as the weather has changed, we're going to have, you know, we get two services and then you, you cross it over, you know, how do you, provide to make sure there's, you know, everything is clean in between services. Well, we have an upper level and lower level. And so we now put in procedures for each one and, and pit personnel that are involved with it. So I think these are the same kind of, same kind of natures that you look at uh, that's going on with athletic programs. You're looking at all the details where people are making contacts. I know for our, our high school football program, they were they were limiting the number of ticket sales that could come into right. an event. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. They were limiting. You know, if you didn't, you had to pre-buy your ticket. Once it had a number, that was it. No more. They wouldn't sell anymore. You couldn't come to the gate and get one. So there, there's a process that's involved. And they they insist about people that are coming in there wearing masks and right. trying to social distance those. And by allowing so many in, they can keep that distance in the stadium. Yeah, I appreciate you sharing that. And again, it, it's just such a, a tough call to make. But as you said, you know, safety's got to be the number one priority and, and you got to do what's best for your your group. Um, Don, this has just been great catching up with you. Uh, you know, I know we get to see each other every year at state coordinators and at nationals, but uh, this has been great. But we're not done yet. Uh, we always like to wrap up with what we call 
the athletic director's toolbox. And uh, we've done quite a few of these. And I think that you might have the hardest time answering this particular question because of all the things that uh, you have helped develop over the years. But here goes. Uh, I'm tasking you with sending out a brand new athletic director on their very first job. But I'm only going to let you put three things in their toolbox. What three things are going to go in Don Bale's athletic director toolbox? I think the number one is you're going to have, you're going to find out, you're going to need to speak to some people to who find out who are the most successful athletic directors and what does success mean? I mean, they run programs consistently. They have a variety of opportunities. That's number one. They become your mentors. They're a resource. They are a resource. Good athletic directors are resources. So that's number one. I think the, the second thing, if, uh, that you're going to need is, is make sure you understand that you are going to need to educate yourself. Um, growing is, is knowing and knowing is growing because you're going to have to make decisions uh, that are going to be somebody, and, and in order to do that, you're going to have to have knowledge that come from resourceful things. And, and one of the great ways to do that is connect with your state and national uh, websites of their resources that are available. You know, the NIAAA has a lot on their information. They have a lot of workshops. Our state organization has the workshop information. Uh, so there, there is there's the knowledge base that you need to do. I think the third thing is learn how to communicate, what it means to communicate. You know, if you know how to communicate, you're gonna build relationships. When you build relationships, you build trust. When you build trust, you build confidence. And that kind of thing will help you a long way in the, as, you know, the peaks as well as the valleys. And, and, and people are going to, they, they may not agree with you, but at least they're, they're gonna understand you're gonna be a person they can listen to. So that is important. You've got to understand how to communicate. And communicate doesn't mean being, being the broadcaster. It means the person that's able to listen carefully. Did you really listen? What did that individual say? And then take it. So those are, those are three that I would suggest it, it would add to the toolbox. Yeah. Wow. Those are three great things. Uh, networking, get a mentor, uh, focus on professional development, and continue to work on your communication skills. Um, great, great stuff. And you didn't have any trouble with that at all. Boy, I, I thought you might be torn a little bit. <laughs> Don, thanks so much for uh, being with us today. Uh, continued uh, success in your role and uh, looking forward to uh, maybe crossing paths with you virtually uh, at the National Conference. Well, Jake, I, th I, I and sincerely thank you for asking me to be part of this. Um, I, I really enjoy, I think the one is one of the, one big, big thing that I've learned as an athletic administrator, the joy that really came with the job was the people you get to meet. And uh, with the, with our state organization, as well as the national organization, I met so many wonderful people, their, their ideas, their joyful experience, their communications, the kind of things I talk about. 
it really, it really made the job so much more enjoyable. It's those connectivities, opportunities that are so instrumental in, in, our, in our life, personal life, that keep us going. We're going to need those. You know, we got many challenging things as an athletic director. We need some personal connections to uplift us up, to give us that inspiration. Oh, absolutely. I, I tell people all the time, you know, I don't think there's any other job uh, besides ours where, you know, we get to have the variety of interactions uh, with adults, with kids, uh, you know, coaches, parents. Uh, it's just, it's what makes our job so enjoyable. Well, thanks again, sir. Yep. And thank you, Jake, for doing this. I, I really, I see the benefits. If people take the time to listen in and chime on the number of resourceful people you have, I can see here's another growth opportunity for people. Well, we've certainly enjoyed it and, and definitely enjoyed having you on. To our listeners, thanks as always for tuning in. Come back again next time for another episode of the Educational AD. Okay. Don't forget the video recording of this interview is on the FIAAA Educational AD YouTube channel. Thanks again for listening.